it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. And a way to start your day. It is Wednesday, the 13th of December. That makes it the Feast of St. Lucy. Let's pray through her intercession today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Have mercy on us, Lord. We pray for those whose lives are darkened by suffering and fear. Let them see your saving power. We pray for those whose minds are darkened by habits of anger, violence, or greed. Let them see your saving power. We pray for those whose eyes are darkened by the glitter of all that is not gold during this season. Let them see your saving power. Lord God of power and might, you enlighten the world by the example of the life, suffering, and death of St. Lucy. Illumine our darkness with the light of faith, that we may look with eager hope toward your coming kingdom. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Lucy, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show, and Lucy means light. It is probably not light where you're listening right now, unless you're one of our international listeners, perhaps. But we are glad that you're with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We will talk to Dr. John Bergsma. More thoughts on Love Basics for Catholics. That's a recent book of his we've been going through. We'll check in with Father Rob Jack. Uh, we have been in the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be for this liturgical year, and Mark starts his gospel out a little bit differently than the other gospel writers, and Father Rob will tell us why. We'll get more verses that point uh, us towards the Advent reality with Gary Zimak, Dr. John Papino along at the end of the hour to discuss a course that he's giving for the Institute of Catholic Culture, so it should be a lot of fun if you're able to stick around. Right now, it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Israel has started pumping seawater into the sprawling network of tunnels in the Gaza Strip used by Hamas. That, according to U.S. officials, briefed on the operation, although Israel has refused to comment. Israeli forces say Hamas used the tunnels to move around the battlefield and to store rockets and ammunition. Massive pumps were put together in recent weeks, while Israel apparently weighed its options. The plan is controversial among some family members of Israeli hostages still being held by Hamas after the October 7th attack into Israel that killed more than a thousand people. They fear their loved ones might be in the tunnels and could be killed by the flooding. President Biden says Ukraine will only win its war against Russia with sustained support from the U.S. Mark Mayfield has more. While speaking alongside Ukrainian President Zelensky at the White House, Biden said Putin is banking on Congress to fail to deliver more aid. Biden said Ukraine's success is vital to global security and indicated he's willing to compromise with Republicans on U.S. border policy reforms. Republicans are demanding border policy changes in exchange for Ukraine funding. The president is urging Congress to strike a deal before Christmas. I'm Mark Mayfield. Nearly 200 countries at the U.N. Climate Summit are agreeing to move away from fossil fuels. The COP28 summit is underway in Dubai, and today the world's nations approved a global pact that calls for, quote, transitioning away from fossil fuels that contribute to global warming. Earlier this month, scientists declared that 2023 has been the hottest year in recorded history. 
Many nations have been calling for a complete phase-out of fossil fuels, but that proposal was rejected by major oil exporters. Instead, countries have agreed on a deal that would accelerate a global shift away from fossil fuels this decade. The Vatican's Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith has responded to questions concerning cremation and the preservation of ashes. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. The Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith has responded to two questions submitted by Cardinal Matteo Zuppi of Bologna concerning the preservation of the ashes of Christians who have been cremated after their death. The first question asked whether it is possible to prepare a defined and permanent sacred place for the commingled accumulation and preservation of the ashes of the baptized, indicating the basic details of each person so as not to lose the memory of their names, similar to what occurs in ossuaries, where the mineralized remains of the deceased are cumulatively deposited and preserved. The dicastery responded that this is possible, recalling that it is important to preserve the remains in such a way that the faithful departed are not forgotten, nor excluded from the prayers of the Christian community. The dicastery also emphasized the importance of showing respect for the bodily remains of Christians, while avoiding any unfitting or superstitious practices. Colonel Zuppi's second question concerned the possibility of families preserving a portion of the cremated remains in a place that is significant for the history of the deceased. The dicastery once again responded affirmatively, noting that the remains of the baptized have always been treated with particular care and devotion, especially regarding the relics of saints. For this reason, the dicastery said that while complying with relevant civil regulations, ecclesial authorities could consider allowing a family to preserve, in an appropriate way, a minimal part of the ashes of their relative in a place of significance for the history of the deceased person, providing that every type of pantheistic, naturalistic, or nihilistic misunderstanding is ruled out and provided also that the ashes of the deceased are kept in a sacred place. I'm Christopher Wells. And hair samples from three former U.S. presidents are heading to deep space. The samples from John F. Kennedy, Dwight Eisenhower, and George Washington will be on board a rocket launched by Celestis early next year. The company specializes in sending remains and DNA to outer space claiming off-world storage preserves the samples for thousands of years without degradation. Celestis says DNA of late presidents could help people in the future learn more about U.S. history. So here's the thing. I'm, I appreciate learning about general historical figures, and, uh, and that's all good and well. I think it's important as an American uh, to have like a – like a healthy reverence mm-hmm. for the people who helped put this country together. Mm-hmm. But I only really get excited if it's like the hair of a canonized saint. Mm-hmm. You know that St. Therese and her relics have been to space. I know. Carried there yeah. at least once, actually maybe twice. I, I don't know. I get, I get excited yeah. about that. Jesus went into space too. The Eucharist. Well, he is the, that's that's true. And he's also the Lord of the Universe. Wow. So. He kind of created it. Yeah. He is He is the real, I know people talk about He-Man, but Jesus is the real master of, <laughs> of the universe. It's true. Just uh, just putting it out there. Happy Feast of St. Lucy, Matt. Happy Feast of St. Lucy to you. I'm sorry you don't have any candles on your head, but. I don't. I don't. But you know what I, what I said on, on, on Twitter yesterday? I said, listen, it's 
you know, December 13th is the Feast of St. Lucy, so be sure to plan a light meal. So there you go. And that's all I have. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. That was enlightening. Matt's talking and Paul turned off his mic. I love that. I love that. This is where I love having the video stream. So folks, this is why you want to watch. It's eight past. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Berksma. We've been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So we are in the chapter in your book focusing on the wedding at Cana um, as we look at well, actually, this chapter is not focused on the wedding at Cana. It's focused on Jesus as the bridegroom, particularly in the Gospel of John. Today, we are going to be unpacking the wedding at Cana, which is in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I will read them now. On the third day, there was a marriage at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the marriage with his disciples. When the wine failed, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, O woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, six stone jars were standing there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the steward of the feast. So they took it. When the steward of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the men have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, Doc, Jesus performs this miracle as a guest at this wedding. I mean, he's just being a really good friend, making sure that this family isn't embarrassed for running out of wine too early, right? I mean, or is it more than that? Well, it's interesting. You know, there's always deeper meanings to the stories, especially in the Gospel of John, elsewhere as well. But I think the key to understanding this account, Anna, is to ask ourselves the question, whose job did Jesus do at this wedding? We know, I mean, there's hints of this in the text, and we know it from ancient Jewish culture, that it was the responsibility of the bridegroom to provide the wine. You know, this is his wedding responsibility, just like in our culture, you know, the father of the bride pays for the wedding, and the father of the groom for the rehearsal dinner, and so on, you divvy up the responsibilities. Right in your culture. So the bridegroom uh, was supposed to do this, and so Jesus actually did the job of the bridegroom here. And that is super significant, considering the prophetic tradition about God as bridegroom of Israel and, and of the king also as a kind of proxy bridegroom for God, the son of David, as bridegroom of Israel. And Jesus, of course, is both. He's both God and the son of David. So he is showing himself to be a super bridegroom here. Doc, can you talk about this exchange between Jesus and his mother? It says, um, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, a woman, 
what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And then she says, do whatever he tells you. What's that about? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, of course, it happened. Um, it's historical, but it also teaches us prayer. Look at the Blessed Mother. She, does, she doesn't conjole or insist. She just makes the need known, right? Mm-hmm. They have no wine. This is a good way to pray. Just make our needs known to Christ and then leave it in his hands. So do whatever he tells you. Yeah. Best advice in the world, right? But then I, I don't know why translators render this, you know, what have you to do with me? It sounds like, it sounds so, you know, disrespectful. Yeah. But if you look in the Greek, it's like, it's, uh, it's more like, why is this a concern to us? Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think that translation that we have in most Bibles can be justified. It's, it's again, why is this a concern to us? And and what our Lord is is saying there is, you know, we're guests here, et cetera. And and furthermore, he says, my hour has not yet come, which is a very interesting response, Anna, because the implied request is, could you do something about the lack of wine? Could you produce wine? You know, and Jesus doesn't say, no, my mission was not to produce wine. I'm the Messiah. You know, I got to go die for the people. He doesn't say that. He says, my hour has not yet come, which implies that there is going to be an hour that's going to arrive where he's going to provide wine for a wedding, um, but not yet. Hmm. And, of course, that's looking forward to the only other place in the Gospel of John where he provides liquid from his body. Wow. Wow. Okay. At the end of this passage, it says, this the first of his signs. All right, I get that. Jesus did it, Cana and Galilee. I get that. And then it says, and manifested his glory. I mean, I know he brought the party here, Dr. Bergsma, <laughs> but how does this manifest his glory? Yes, 180 gallons, the finest French import here. <laughs> uh, this is pretty amazing. I'm sure that Jesus was getting invitations from every young couple in Galilee after performing this. Like, yeah. oh, remember that teacher from Nazareth? Make sure he gets an invite, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but it's but the, the you know John is the gospel of signs, and so this tremendous abundance of wine harks back to Isaiah twenty-five, which promises a banquet of tremendous wine of the choicest, finest wines on Mount Zion um, in in the at the end of time, and Jesus is is signaling that that is approaching. And this wine, of this abundance, harks us back to John chapter 1, where it says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Mm. Some translations say from his abundance. Mm. And the superabundance of wine here is a sign of the infinite num- amount of grace that's available in every Eucharist, if we would just have faith to open our hearts to receive it. Wow. Thank you so much, Dr. John Bergsma. You can find Love Basics for Catholics linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We're back with headlines right after this. It's a quarter past.
The Christmas Means Life campaign encourages you to add another person to your Christmas list, the baby Jesus, as represented by women and children in need by making a donation to your local pregnancy center. Another option is to support the JP2 Life Center, committed to saving lives with free pregnancy help services, holistic OBGYN care, and education programs. Find out more at jpiilifecenter.org. That's jpiilifecenter.org. Because Christmas means life. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Got a coffee lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Hi friends, Janet Williams here. Join me every Wednesday on Women of Grace Live as I welcome new age researcher and blogger for Women of Grace, Sue Brinkman. Sue and I will be talking about all the wacky things that could distract you from your faith. Psychics, yoga, Reiki, crystals, acupuncture, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and astral traveling are just a few of the stranger things we discuss. That's why we call it Wacky Wednesday. So join us at 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. 17 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Israel has started pumping seawater into the sprawling network of tunnels in the Gaza Strip used by Hamas. The Vatican's dicastery for the doctrine of the faith has responded to questions concerning cremation and the preservation of ashes. And bishops have just received instructions for the next phase of the Synod on Synodality. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And Anna Mitchell, uh, when Paul cut my mic, all I was going to say is that I should not have made weird and wacky jokes on a wacky Wednesday, <laughs> as Johnette would say, knowing that you've been feeling poorly. Yeah. And uh, I feel like there's been make... illness all around our yeah. situation. I know a lot of people who are getting like sick this time of year. Mm-hmm. Just know that we are praying for you. That, I'd uh, appreciate the prayers this morning for sure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, this is Mommy. this is that time of year where everything seems to sort of like crash down around people. What is like it's the nice injured little... list, but you're still like playing? Uh, questionable, maybe. Questionable. Question. Is that? Yeah, I think that would be. I mean, I don't want to call you questionable because I feel like that means something different in. Okay, that's I don't know. True. Some kind of like media role than it does in like a physically able to perform role Mm -hmm. you are physically able to perform i am here i mean you did just do a newscast it's true it's true but anyway i say this time of year it's nuts anyway people are getting sick we're praying for you everybody just practice patience with everyone it may be god's way of slowing you down at advent Mm -hmm. i don't know part of his that's a good idea would say permissive will (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know. In um, other news, those watching the video stream right now will see that Matt and I match. Oh, yeah. You got like wearing, a plaid like, scarf. We're wearing like the same pattern today. You'll also see that I'm still in like a hotel room. And on this piece of St. Lucie, I have two like weird hotel lamps. It is funny, you know, when you try and light something mm-hmm. in a hotel uh, and then you don't realize until you try and use a camera that like, oh, <laughs> they don't have they don't have like overhead lights in any hotel rooms. And you got to be all weird. There's like there's upside down lamps in front of like, it's wild. So thank you, St. Lucie. For your life. On this, your feast day. Yeah. Patron. Patroness of light. And of, uh, somebody told me yesterday, salespeople. And I'm not exactly sure why. Interesting. But anybody who works in sales, I always thought that the patron saint of sales was Francis de Sales. But apparently, Lucy's in the mix there. How interesting. I'm sure there's like a reason that's like really practical. And, mm-hmm. and makes perfect sense, but I have not been able to find it. Yeah, I usually think of her. Obviously, I know her as the eye. Yeah, of eyes. Yeah. As I, as the glare from these lights goes off of my glasses, she is the patron of both my glasses <laughs> and the light bouncing off of them. St. Lucy, pray, for, pray us. for us. It's 21 past. Family. To think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear. These are Biblical Impressions. Of all the things we treasure in life, our family is the most valuable of all. The Bible certainly values family. Think of all those genealogies in the Bible, especially the genealogy of Jesus that we find in the Gospel of Matthew or Luke. But one family we may overlook in the Bible is the family of St. Paul we learn that Paul had a sister and a nephew. We don't know their names, but this nephew of Paul played an important role in the events that led to the apostles' voyage to Rome. The nephew's story appears in Acts 23. He learns of a plot by some zealots to assassinate his uncle, and this nephew takes action. He warns Paul and then the Roman commander who immediately takes arrangements to have Paul transferred from Jerusalem, where he was in custody, to Caesarea, a port on the coastline of Palestine and residence of the Roman governor. Paul must have been proud of his nephew, who understood how important it was for Paul to continue his missionary work. And because of what this nephew did, Paul arrived in Rome to preach the word of God. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. Radio, which is the same station that produces the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a priest of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Father Rob, good morning. Morning, Matt. So we've been going through Mark, and we'll be going through Mark through the course of this liturgical year, and uh, there's a lot that Mark has in common with, common with other Gospels, but 
it's interesting to start with Mark in Advent because Mark doesn't have a nativity story. How does Mark actually start his gospel? Well, when we look at it, Mark starts his gospel in the desert. And we know there's four symbols for each of the uh, gospel writers. The gospel of Mark, of course, has the symbol of the lion. And that comes from the beginning where it says the voice roaring in the wilderness. And it was there is a medieval belief that when lion cubs were born, they were born dead, and the father would stand over the lions as they were born, the baby lions, and roar, and he would bring them to life. Now, what's interesting is not only that that medieval notion of how life happened, but what's real interesting is that Mark begins his gospel in the desert, and it's rather ironic, because when we look at the beginning of the Bible, where does God begin? In a garden. In a garden, exactly. So how in the world has the human race gotten from the garden, where they worked with the Lord and walked with Him through the cool of the day and had all their needs met, to the middle of a daggone desert, okay? And it, it sets up the stage for us to understand that during the time from the creation to now the, the new coming recreation in Christ, we have not done a really good job of keeping the world up. And it also shows a reminder of where Israel began after they were freed from Egypt, back in the desert. And, of course, in the book of the prophet Isaiah, I'm sorry, Hosea, get those two right, Hosea, what we see there is that God says, I will bring Israel into the wilderness and woo her back. Reminder of what is going on. And so we see really two things, I think, going on with the beginning of Mark's Gospel. First is reminding Israel of their time in the wilderness, when they relied only on the Lord. And secondly, a sense of repentance that, look, we started in a garden. Now we're in a wasteland, kind of like our equivalent of the Wild West. How do we get out of this? Well, it is fascinating that part of the way they get out of this involves John the Baptist coming out of the desert and going straight to the same river that the Israelites crossed in order to get to the promised land. And that right. water has such a big part of, of this story to get from the desert back to the garden. And, and it is interesting. We see what happens here is that, of course, when they saw John, who did they think he was? Elijah, one of the first of the prophets to call Israel back to the Lord. And so what we see in, in many ways is Mark is actually talking about a new type of beginning, whereas in Matthew it's a new genealogy. And in, in Luke, it's back in the temple, but here it's back in the desert. So, then, what does that mean for you and me and everybody listening as to how we should be thinking about our own travels, as it were, during this Advent season especially? Well, what we see is that oftentimes we look at the world and we see that life has as many challenges, and in many ways we're the cause of our own misery, because of our own sins, because of choosing to reject the Lord and not follow the Lord, John has come to remind us, you know what I pro- what God promised you in the beginning? That promise is still there. The Messiah will still come. But for that to happen, if you want to get back into the garden, you're going to have to spend time in the wilderness. And, of course, what does Isaiah say about that? He says, when the Messiah comes, the step in the in the garden will bloom, and new life will prevail. And so John is basically starting us where we're at. We're in a desert. 
uh, a wild life, uh, oftentimes a very basic life, a life that's full of fears, a life that's full of dangers. And John has come to say, this is not how we were created to be. Well, you know, Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke, we get them on a three-year cycle, and it's fascinating because, uh, you know, to the average listener, they might not notice a big difference in tone because some so many of the stories that we hear are the same stories. That's right. But I wonder when it comes around for you to preach the gospel of Mark, you know, what do you hear in his voice that maybe kind of affects the way you preach when Mark, when it's Mark's year? Well, there's a there's an adverb they use in the Greek. Now, of course, everyone knows there's an adverb in the Greek, and it, the word is euthus. Euthus means immediately. And so, what's happening is that Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark has set up the path that God wants to bring us back, and He's not going to take His own sweet time. He's taken His own sweet time getting to Jesus because we had to learn and we had to learn how to obey and understand who God is. But now that Jesus comes, you'll find one of the most used words is that Jesus, this happens immediately. The people do this immediately. Jesus casts out evil immediately. And so what we see is that in Mark's gospel, it's a short, it's the shortest of the four. It, it tells time's a waste, and folks, we have to act now. Which is why I think it's such a great gospel to hear from in Advent, because Advent I mean, it just connects us with that whole, like, prepare the way, like, don't prepare it later, like, prepare it now, watch and wait, and coming off the Feast of Christ the King and all those kind of, you know, be ready readings that we heard at the end of the last liturgical season, it's a really interesting way to begin a new liturgical season. Father Rob Jack, thank you as always, and have a wonderful day. Thank you too, Matt. You can find Father Rob Jack and his work with Driving Home the Faith linked at Sunrise Morning Show. Dot com. That's also where you can find really all the people we talk to. You can even put in your email and subscribe so you can get show notes delivered to your inbox daily along with some of the prayers that we use to kick off the hour. And uh, who knows, maybe a Rita Heikenfeld recipe or two along the way. Check it all out. It's all online at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Israel has started pumping seawater into the sprawling network of tunnels in the Gaza Strip used by Hamas. That, according to U.S. officials, briefed on the operation, although Israel has refused to comment. Israeli forces say Hamas used the tunnels to move around the battlefield and to store rockets and ammunition. Massive pumps were put together in recent weeks while Israel apparently weighed its options. The plan is controversial among some family members of Israeli hostages still being held by Hamas after the October 7th attack into Israel that killed more than a thousand people. They fear their loved ones might be in those tunnels and could be killed by the flooding. Pope Francis, during his general audience today, said he continues to follow this conflict and urged both sides to resume negotiations. He asked that all hostages be released And he called on everyone to make an urgent commitment to get humanitarian aid to the people of Gaza. Meanwhile, the United Nations General Assembly is demanding an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. 
Brian Shook reports. On Tuesday, the General Assembly got a two-thirds majority and passed the resolution demanding a ceasefire. Two amendments to the ceasefire proposed by the U.S. and Austria both failed. The U.S. says it supports a pause in fighting, but not a ceasefire that would allow Hamas to plan another attack. I'm Brian Shook. Nearly 200 countries at the U.N. Climate Summit are agreeing to move away from fossil fuels. The COP28 summit is underway in Dubai, and yesterday, or today rather, the world's nations approved a global pact that calls for transitioning away from fossil fuels that contribute to global warming. Many nations have been calling for a complete phase out of fossil fuels, but that proposal was rejected by major oil exporters. Instead, countries have agreed on a deal that would accelerate a global shift away from fossil fuels this decade. Harvard's board is voting to keep Claudine Gay as the school's president. She has faced calls for her resignation and firing after her appearance before a congressional committee to discuss anti-Semitism on campus. She and other Ivy League school leaders face criticism for their answers to questions about whether calls for the genocide of Jews violate school rules. In a message to the Harvard community, the board said their deliberations affirmed their confidence that Gay is the right leader for Harvard. Bishops around the world have received information explaining the next stages around the Synod on Synodality. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. After the closing of the first part of the Synod in October, churches are now called to promote further consultation and to prepare contributions for the second and final session in October 2024. To this end, bishops across the world have just received a document with instructions from the Secretariat of the Synod. The synodal process will continue along some lines of work, keeping in mind Pope Francis' remarks that the synod is about synodality and not about this or that theme. Regarding the specific themes that have emerged so far, the text explains that some will need to be considered with the Vatican dicasteries. These matters include, for example, the updating of the codes of canon law and the deepening of theological and pastoral research on women's admission to the diaconate. A report on the progress of this work will be presented to the Assembly in October 2024. Discussions will revolve around the central question of how to be a synodal church in mission with the aim to identify the paths to follow to enhance the unique contribution of each baptized person and of each church to the mission of proclaiming the gospel to today's world. The key word in this will be that of co-responsibility. This guiding question will be addressed on two levels, local and central. With this in mind, the document invites each church to carry out a further consultation, also involving theologians, canonists and local academic institutions. The summaries of the contributions will serve as a basis for the Instrumentum Laboris, the working document of the 2024 Synod. I am Lisa Zingarini. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. 
They have a number of Christmas blends available. And when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug. Available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, what is actual grace? Actual grace is that help of God which enlightens our mind and moves our will to shun evil and to do good. Not only do I need grace that precedes my action, I also need grace in that very moment. Actual grace, then, is what happens in the very moment. Let's say I see a poor man and he's on the street, and I think to myself, well, should I help him or not? If I reach into my pocket and I give him what I have, well, then it's actual grace moving me at that very moment to perform that action. Or if I'm prompted to pray, that's grace preceding my action. And then when I do pray, actual grace is moving me all through that prayer. God enlightens my mind through actual grace so that way I might know what the good thing to do is. And he moves my will beyond myself so that I might reach that higher plane wherein I imitate Christ. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. It is Wednesday, the 13th of December, the Feast of St. Lucie, whose name means light. Hopefully the sun will be up in your area before too long. Always comes up one way or another, even if it's behind a cloud. Gary Zimak now joining us from followingthetruth.com. Gary, good morning. Good morning, Matt. We are heading towards the third Sunday of Advent, which is hard for me to believe. I feel like I blinked, and here we are. Uh, But there's a word that we associate with the third Sunday of Advent. We are lighting the pink candle, and that word is connected with the verse that you wanted to talk about today. Exactly, and that word is rejoice. And I'm going to go to one of my favorite verses. This is from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Matt, one of my favorite verses, you and I have talked about this before, but I think this is so important for us to remember. Why should I rejoice if everything's falling apart around me? If my life's a mess, if I'm not feeling, if I wake up in a bad mood, if I'm just not feeling it today, why should I rejoice? Well, Paul goes on to give us that answer. And this is really what we're celebrating, what we're working toward during the Advent season. We should rejoice because the Lord is near. No matter what else is happening, the Lord is near to me right now. And as I continue to prepare for Him during Advent, as I continue to try to get rid of the junk to welcome Him more deeply into my life, I can anticipate that on Christmas Day, I mean, that's the goal we set for ourselves, if I'm doing the work, and I'm asking him to come more deeply into my life to do to work through me. If that, if I'm doing that, I can be sure that on Christmas Day, 
I'm going to be closer to him than I am right now. So for that reason, I absolutely can rejoice because he's not going anywhere. No matter what happens around me, the Lord is near. Yeah, and I think uh, if my count is right, and depending on how your responsorial psalm is broken up, I think we hear that word seven times in the readings for Mass on Sunday. <laughs> Rejoice. <Wow. Yeah. laughs> um, it pops up a lot. Now, it pops up in every single one of the responses, but it is a theme, right? It's a theme. It's this kind of light of hope in the middle of this season of, of waiting, a right. kind of a reminder right. that we're almost to the finish line. And some people might say, well, you know, Paul, you are, you know, Whatever it's it's nice of you, you know, in your situation to tell everybody else to rejoice. But my life is hard, uh, <laughs> except that Paul is writing Philippians from prison. <laughs> he is yeah. like writing from literally a jail cell where he has been thrown for preaching the gospel. So if Paul can say it, I can probably say it. Right, and that's what I love about the fact that he is writing it from prison. And if he can say rejoice. Obviously, he knows something that maybe I don't. If I'm complaining because it's cold outside or something, or, you know, things aren't going my way, obviously Paul has a better handle on this than I do. And the key is, and I think, Matt, as, as we continue, I don't know how many years you and I have been talking about these Bible verses to help aid us in overcoming anxiety. The secret is to focus on the constant presence of the Lord in my life. No matter what happens... He is here. He wants to help me. And my job is to to let him and also to rejoice, to choose to rejoice no matter how I feel. It's not a feeling. It's a choice to choose to to rejoice in the constant presence and assistance of the Lord God in my life. Well, Paul doesn't just say this out of the blue with no connection to any other thoughts. Uh, This is actually, if you're going to memorize one chunk of the Bible, Philippians 4 and especially verses 4 through 8, is such a great chunk to memorize, because the way that Paul sums up the whole thought uh, that comes after this really, I think, points to how we can rejoice. Uh, He talks about, uh, you know, how we should be rejoice, but also be gentle, to not be anxious, to be thankful. Uh, But then he goes on in verse 8 to say a verse that we talk about here on the radio all the time, too. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure— Whatever is lovely or admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I think that a lot of times when I find it hard to rejoice, it's not necessarily because of the circumstances in my life, but because of what what I've chosen to think about in the course of those circumstances, uh, and that I'm not thinking on the good, the true, and the beautiful. I'm thinking about doom scrolling on social media, or all the horrible things, or... You know, something that I heard on the news that says that something is in my oatmeal might be killing me, right? Like, it's because I've chosen to think about the opposite of all those things, I've impaired my ability to rejoice. Exactly. And the more we, the more we let our thoughts run wild about the negative, the, the, the negative things that may or may not happen, you know, this problem, if it doesn't go away, what's going to happen two weeks from now? Oh, my gosh, it'll be a disaster. Or turn on the TV or look on the Internet. Horrible things happening. Everybody hates everybody else. It's terrible. It's doom and gloom. The more I dwell on that, and the less I dwell on God's love for me and His power and, and you know, and, and things that are good, the more anxious I'm going, to be, be, I'm going to make myself. If I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is start scrolling, as you said, through your, your feed on, on Facebook or t- on, on Twitter or on social media, 
or, or turn on the TV or, or you know, and, and to, to just focus on the negative things that are going on in the world, then I'm going to be miserable. But if I start the day in prayer or by opening my Bible, even if just for a few minutes, it's going to really set the tone in a different way. I can't control anything around me. I mean, I can control very little in my life, but things around me, I have no control over my circumstances oftentimes. But what I can control is my thoughts. It's not always easy, and that's the thing. It's hard sometimes, and it's work. But I found that the more I do it, the more I open up the Gospels and start reading about the miracles of Jesus and start really entering into the various scenes, it's very difficult for me to become anxious because I'm so focused on the love and the power of God sending His Son into the world and doing all the great things He has done, His constant presence in my life. It's very hard for me to worry or become anxious when I become immersed in Scripture. So, I mean, it's just a, it's a matter of working to try to redirect our thoughts and focusing on the truth. The truth is that God loves me. He's bigger than my problems, and for that reason I can rejoice. And it is interesting, too. Uh, you know, it's the stuff that we fill our heads with uh, subconsciously comes out at other times. And, and oh, yeah. we know that from the bad things that put in our, we put on our head, from the good things we put on our head, from the just dumb and meaningless things that we put, put in our heads. Like, I could sing you every chewing gum jingle from the <laughs> 1980s, like, and, and I haven't heard them in two decades. But you name yeah. a gum brand from the 80s, and I could sing you the jingle. Why is it in my head? Because somehow or other, I decided that I was going to let it be something that got absorbed into me. So... <laughs> Yeah. I think a big question is, what am I putting myself in the stream of? What am I putting myself in proximity to? How am I immersing myself in a world of thought? And what effect is that having on me? And how is that affecting negatively or positively my ability to rejoice? Like, that's something that that I could certainly do a better job on. Yeah, and me too. What a great Advent exercise, though, Matt, to really focus on spending just a couple minutes each day reading the gospel from daily mass or something, or, you know, if, you're, if somebody's not doing that, that's great exercise, or reading some sort of a spiritual guide or just something uh, to, or even just spending time in prayer. You know, I mean, certainly we want to do that too, but just keeping the social media limited, keeping the TV to, a, to, a, you know, to its limits, and just focusing a little bit extra on on the Lord during Advent, and then that's going to stay in your head, and that goes through you, with you, throughout the rest of the day. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Gary Zimak. We've got followingthetruth.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Very grateful for you, and uh, I rejoice that you and I get to talk every week. It's a pretty fun time. Uh, me, as, me as well, man. Thank you so much. God bless you, my friend. All right, you too. We're back with Dr. John Papino right after this. He's got a new coach, uh, course rather, for the Institute of Catholic Culture. It's 14 till. The Christmas Means Life campaign encourages you to add another person to your Christmas list, the baby Jesus, as represented by women and children in need by making a donation to your local pregnancy center. Another option is to support the JP2 Life Center, committed to saving lives with free pregnancy help services, holistic OBGYN care, and education programs. Find out more at jpiilifecenter.org. That's jpiilifecenter.org. Because Christmas means life. 
For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The most original Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. What have you always wanted to know about the Vatican? Well, I'm your Vatican Insider, and I answer that question when I bring you the news about the Pope, Vatican City, and I share insights and stories from a broad spectrum of church ministries. Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis, Saturday night, 9 Eastern, on EWTN Radio. This is Dr. David Anders. Does the problem of evil keep you from believing in God? Join us for Called to Communion this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Papino. He is returning to teach a new course, the next course at the Institute of Catholic Culture, this one on Patristics 101. Dr. Papino, welcome back to the show. Well, hello there, Annie. How are you doing? I am doing fine and very excited to get to talk to you about this. Very excited for this course, um, which I will be participating in as uh, sort of the ICC guide, um, along with you who will actually be teaching us. Um, My first question to you is just to make sure that everybody is on the same page here, Dr. Dr. Papino. What do we mean when we say... Patristics. What is that? Yes. Now, patristics is the study of the fathers of the church, and those would be the orthodox writers who wrote in the first seven centuries of the history of Christianity. So, names like uh, Saint Ignatius, Saint Irenaeus, Saint Clement of Alexandria, Saint Cyprian, uh, for the first half of that period, and for the second half of that period, the great names like Saint Ambrose, Saint Augustine. And uh, today's uh, patron saint, Saint uh, Saint Damasus, among many others. So those would be the fathers of the Church, and in Patristics we read and study their works. Okay, so in 101, which will be the first semester at the ICC, and by the way, registration is open for this. Go to instituteofcatholicculture.org, and uh, you can find the little card on the website to click on to uh, register for this course. You can audit it or you can uh, take it as a certificate track. And uh, so 101 will be the first half of the year, Dr. Papino. What will we be focusing on in this 101 course? So we'll begin with uh, sort of studying what patristics is, just a bit of theory at the beginning. And then we'll begin with St. Clement of Rome, 
who was a disciple of St. Peter and Paul. He was the, the, a pope, and he wrote a letter to the Corinthians, it, and it, it reads a bit like an epistle of St. Peter or St. Paul. Hmm. And he's uh, among the first of the apostolic fathers, the disciples of the apostles, who sort of carry the torch they got from the apostles. Then we'll read the famous St. Ignatius of Antioch, who was um, the Bishop of Antioch, a couple of bishops after St. Peter was bishop over there. He wrote seven epistles. We'll read all of them. Yes. Then the Didache, this, this fascinating teaching of the early church. Then we'll go into the apologists, who are the Christians who wrote to the pagans to defend and explain Christianity. So people like St. Athenagoras, uh, the letter to Diognetus, St. Justin Martyr, St. Theophilus of Antioch, who's the first Christian to use the word Trinity in 180 Ooh. A.D. Then the great St. Irenaeus, who writes against the heresies and defends apostolic uh, succession. St. Clement of Alexandria. Then we'll read Origen, the great biblical exegete of the mid-third century. Tertullian, at about the same time, who is the founder of Latin theological expression. Then the great Bishop of Carthage, St. Cyprian, who dies in 254, and will round out the course by reading, it'll be kind of a, a review of the entire course, by reading extracts from Eusebius of Caesarea's uh, oh, yeah. church history. He's the first church historian, and uh, that'll bring us to the Council of Nicaea, the first council of the church. All of this happens before Nicaea? Yes. Wow. <laughs> And that's just the tip of the iceberg, but we can't do everything. I hope it's an introduction for people to read further and ponder further on their own as well. This is just an introduction, after all. Well, I guess the the devil's advocate question here, Dr. Pepino, is why in the world does it matter for us to know what these men believed prior to the Council of Nicaea? I mean, this is so old. Why do we care about what these old guys had to say? <laughs> That's a very interesting question. Well, on the one hand, okay, th there are many reasons to do it. Uh, an immediate uh, reason is to see how people who lived that long ago, as you say, shared with us the same love of God and mm. of Christ and the same sacraments, the same beliefs, the same church. So although they're so long ago, we are among friends when we read them. Sure. And also because outside of Scripture, uh, revelation is handed on to us by tradition, and a big component of tradition is precisely what the fathers of the Church taught, because they act as witnesses to the faith or as authoritative teachers of the faith. And so we can see that even before the councils, Christians were not at a loss as to what to believe, and that the faith of all the 21 councils of the Church, from Nicaea all the way to Vatican II, that the faith of those councils, indeed the faith of the Church, is also the faith of these early Christian writers. In, a, in an unbroken continuity from these disciples of the Apostles and through the entire, as we call it, patristic age, so bringing us to the 7th century and then to today. It's really incredible. I mean, we recite the creed at Mass every Sunday, and, and these are the men that laid the foundation for that prayer that we continue to recite that, in this day and age. That's exactly right. In fact, um, 
although of course the the, the, the bishops gathered at Nicaea did hammer out uh, that that creed. There were creeds in existence before that that uh, wow. people would recite the night they were baptized on the vigil of Easter as a profession of faith. And you and we'll see some of these, by the way, in this course. Different early versions of the creed of the church. Um, some are longer and some are shorter than the creed of Nicaea, but they all have the same faith in them. Well, I am so looking forward to this course and hope that you are as well. Listener, go to instituteofcatholicculture.org and you can find uh, the link there to sign up for Patristics 101 with Dr. John Papino. And Matt, I mean, how many... How many stories do you think you have over at uh, chnetwork.org where reading the Church Fathers played into the decision to join the Catholic Church? Matt? What's that? Oh, you didn't hear my question, did you? Oh, my gosh. See, this is what happens. Is I? You got up to get a sausage biscuit I, again, didn't you? Well, no, I got up to refill my coffee this time. Oh. See? I was going, I was asking, how many stories would you say, do you think, include reading the Church Fathers as part of a convert's trek to the Catholic Church over at CH Network? I would say most of the Protestant ones. Wow. Most. Wow. Other religions, they're not as interested once they find out it's, you know the church is the church they don't need to go back all the way to sure. prove it but people who have only had the bible their whole life those people discover the church fathers and their minds are blown somewhat blown yeah oh yeah we've got lots of them that's awesome. we got lots of them that's awesome we got lots to talk about in the next hour here on the sunrise morning show on most of these ewt and affiliates we're back right after this it's three minutes till We continue on this Wednesday, the 13th of December. It is the Feast of St. Lucy by praying through her intercession in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, may the glorious intercession of the Virgin and Martyr St. Lucy give us a new heart, we pray, so that we may celebrate her heavenly birthday in this present age and so behold things eternal. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Lucy, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you're with us here on this Wednesday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lachman at the controls. And up this hour, we're going to talk to Father Philip Michael Tangora. There's been a lot of discussion about uh, the feminine character of the church, the involvement of women in the church, 
and Father Philip Michael Tangora, our canon law correspondent. We'll get into that a little bit this morning. Also this hour, Father Augustine Weta has another old monk story to share with us. Dr. John Cutterback will talk about uh, some projects that he's been working on, and then Katie Bogner on at the end of the hour as well. So please do stay with us if you are able. Right now, it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Israel has begun pumping seawater into the sprawling network of tunnels in the Gaza Strip used by Hamas. That, according to U.S. officials who were briefed on the operation, Israel has refused to comment. Israeli forces say Hamas used the tunnels to move around the battlefield and to store rockets and ammunition. Massive pumps were put together in recent weeks while Israel apparently weighed its options. The plan is controversial among some family members of Israelis still being held hostage by Hamas. They fear their loved ones might be in the tunnels currently and could be killed by the flooding. Pope Francis, during his general audience today, said he continues to follow the conflict and urged both sides to resume negotiations. He asked that all hostages be released And he called on everyone to make an urgent commitment to get humanitarian aid to the people of Gaza. President Biden has said Ukraine will only win its war against Russia with sustained support from the United States. Mark Mayfield reports. While speaking alongside Ukrainian President Zelensky at the White House, Biden said Putin is banking on Congress to fail to deliver more aid. Biden said Ukraine's success is vital to global security and indicated he's willing to compromise with Republicans on U.S. border policy reforms. Republicans are demanding border policy changes in exchange for Ukraine funding. The president is urging Congress to strike a deal before Christmas. I'm Mark Mayfield. Nearly 200 countries at the U.N. Climate Summit are agreeing to move away from fossil fuels. The COP28 summit underway in Dubai has the world's nations approving a global pact that calls for transitioning away from fossil fuels that contribute to global warming. Many nations have been calling for a complete phase out of fossil fuels, but the proposal was rejected by major oil exporters. Instead, countries have agreed on a deal that would accelerate a global shift away from fossil fuels this decade. The Department of Veterans Affairs says nearly half the vets they've screened may have been exposed to toxic substances. Brian Shook reports. A new report shows of the 5 million veterans screened, over 2 million reported at least one possible exposure to a toxic substance during their time in the military. The most common reports were exposures to burn pits and Agent Orange, both of which can cause a variety of cancers. The screenings were launched as part of the PACT Act, a law expanding benefits for veterans who've been exposed to toxic substances. I'm Brian Shook. The Vatican's Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith has responded to questions concerning cremation and the preservation of ashes. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells has more. The Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith has responded to two questions submitted by Cardinal Matteo Zuppi of Bologna concerning the preservation of the ashes of Christians who have been cremated after their death. The first question asked whether it is possible to prepare a defined and permanent sacred place for the commingled accumulation and preservation of the ashes of the baptized, indicating the basic details of each person so as not to lose the memory of their names, similar to what occurs in ossuaries. 
where the mineralized remains of the deceased are cumulatively deposited and preserved. The dicastery responded that this is possible, recalling that it is important to preserve the remains in such a way that the faithful departed are not forgotten nor excluded from the prayers of the Christian community. The dicastery also emphasized the importance of showing respect for the bodily remains of Christians while avoiding any unfitting or superstitious practices. Colonel Zuppi's second question concerned the possibility of families preserving a portion of the cremated remains in a place that is significant for the history of the deceased. The dicastery once again responded affirmatively, noting that the remains of the baptized have always been treated with particular care and devotion, especially regarding the relics of saints. For this reason, the dicastery said that while complying with relevant civil regulations, ecclesial authorities could consider allowing a family to preserve in an appropriate way a minimal part of the ashes of their relative in a place of significance for the history of the deceased person, providing that every type of pantheistic, naturalistic, or nihilistic misunderstanding is ruled out, and provided also that the ashes of the deceased are kept in a sacred place. I'm Christopher Wells. And the NFL wraps up its special meeting from Irving, Texas today. Owners and front office officials gathered Tuesday to network and discuss several changes to regular season international play. Owners are expected to vote on a proposal which would require all 32 teams to play at least one home game outside of the U.S. every four years. The league will also consider games in Madrid, Spain and Sao Paulo, Brazil next season. In addition, Albert Breer with the MMQB reports that quote-unquote health and safety changes are on the agenda today, including three specific plays to be reviewed, hip drop tackles, split flow blocks, and the infamous tush push. Oh, they're going to, the rugby move? I don't know. You know, I feel like the folks in Holy Spirit Radio Country are going to be annoyed that you didn't call that the brotherly shove. The brotherly shove. Out there in Philadelphia. I like that better. I didn't. The brotherly shove. I didn't know that there were nicknames for these things. So Yeah, it's like it's a, basically a rugby scrum that moves forward. Right. It's right. worked very well for the Eagles. Ah, the brotherly but shove. I like the it. The brotherly shove. I like From that. the city of brotherly love. Indeed. And there Indeed. you have it. Cool. Well, it is eight minutes past the hour. Happy Feast of St. Lucy to all the Lucys listening this morning. I know that there are uh, a bunch of kids. I know a bunch of kids under the age of 10 named Lucy. It's a great name. It means light. We're joined now by Father Philip Michael Tangora, our canon law correspondent, who is a pastor. He's also author of a book called Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life. Father, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So I want to talk uh, about some of the things that Pope Francis has said and the church has been talking about uh, through the Synod on Synodality and a bunch of other places about um, the church and women. And I saw some some reactions that I would love to get you to respond to out of the gates uh, when, uh, you know, the Holy Father and some others have talked about, you know, really understanding the feminine qualities of the church. I saw some people with kind of like knee-jerk reactions saying, why do we need this woke conversation in you know, regards to church politics, but I feel like it's important to assert that the idea of the church as female and feminine doesn't come from 21st century politics. It actually comes from St. Paul, (laughs) right? That the church is female in her character, and we see this all over the catechism, don't we? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we see very clearly that the church is always referred to as Holy Mother Church. It's always referred with the feminine uh, pronouns as she or her, 
this is how we identify the Church, as a loving mother. And so in this regard, uh, that feminine is very much seen. We see Mary as, the Blessed Virgin Mary, as a model, as the archetype of the Church in many ways. And so we see uh, that the Church does have this very important Marian dimension, and uh, Mary is the mother of the Church. Uh, so we can see how uh, that feminine is certainly going to uh, be there, and that the feminine genius of how it manifests love, the charism of love, uh, in the feminine manner, is very much close to uh, how we express uh, the reality of the Church, because the, the Church loves as a mother. The Church nurtures as a mother. The Church uh, brings about uh, our guidance to, the, to Jesus Christ the way the Mother of God does. Yeah, and the way that only mothers can, right? There are certain things that mothers can do that fathers cannot do, right? <laughs> no matter because, how much exactly, we try... The Church brings forth life, it generates new life, it gestates yeah. new life, life of faith through baptism, uh, and in this way, uh, the Church is truly uh, feminine in that way. Yeah. So the Church is very intent on making sure that whatever else is going on in the world, we preserve the meaning of motherhood, and we preserve the meaning of fatherhood. So with both of those things in mind, when we talk about uh, ways to understand the role of women in the Church, how does that determination to hold those definitions of motherhood and fatherhood closely help us understand uh, what are some good and, and bad ways to think about the stuff going forward? Yes. So, for instance, when it comes to like admitting women to the priesthood, this would be an impossibility, theologically, because the priesthood expresses the masculine form of love, the masculine expression of love. That's why we're called Father, because it expresses fatherly love. It is a masculine vocation by its very nature. Whereas, what do you call the woman in charge of a, of a house of nuns? Mother Superior. Because that religious form of life expresses the feminine form, charism of love, uh, and so we need to understand that it's not about equality, it's about equity, it's uh, not about uh, the fact that everybody is meant to be homogenized and doing the same thing. That's where our culture gets it all wrong. Uh, and you also can't just pick, well, today I'm a man and tomorrow I'm a woman. Uh, so you have to actually be capable. God has given each and every single one of us by our male or female gender, the ability to express a certain form of God's love. And the way that that masculine uh, love is expressed is a fatherly love, is a brotherly love, and the way that feminine love is expressed, it is a motherly love, it is a sisterly love. And we need all of them together to express the full genius of love that God has gifted humanity to express and be in His image and likeness. Well, I can tell you uh, that both of those things are important, and I can tell you not from a uh, official ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical standpoint, right? Because that's not my experience. I am not a priest or deacon, 
I'm a lay person mm-hmm. in an independent apostolate working uh, to help promote the church, but I'm not overseen by the church in any way. But I can tell you, this would be a much lamer show with a lot less insight if it was me and some other dude on the Sunrise Morning Show, and that by having Anna Mitchell, <laughs> it changes the whole face of how we think about stuff. And so Absolutely. Uh, that's that's to me, it helps me understand, like, for instance, at the parish level, like, women can't be priests, but I can tell you that if you want something done at my parish, you uh, go to the women in the the office. You get the pastor for permission, but you get the women, or it's not going to (laughs) happen. Absolutely correct. And and I think what we can look at is how can we increase the ability of women to have a deliberative voice in the church. I think that that's something that we legitimately could look at. I think we could have a permanent standing council of mothers of the church, of female religious superiors as an advisory council in the Vatican. I think we could certainly have uh, women having uh, greater roles in ecumenical councils or synods, uh, you know, the, the synods, because the thing is, I mean, look at the history of the church. The first ecumenical council in Nicaea was presided over by the empress, not the pope, you know, or his delegate. He had two uh, liaisons that were there, but it was the fact that it was, it was presided over by the empress. So, I mean, there is no way that we can look back at our history and fail to recognize the authentic role of women in the Church and say that women certainly could have a very important role and voice in the life of the Church, but we can't, it, it, it would be uh, an error to then try and homogenize or fail to recognize the distinction of how men and women share uh, and express the reality and gift of love. It is a mystery how it all works together. I mean, exactly. uh, Jesus, Jesus comes to the world through, as St. Paul tells us, through a woman. Right, but at the Last Supper, Absolutely. when he's instituting the priesthood in the Eucharist, it's men. But then, when he resurrects, who's he appear to first? A woman. Mary it is a mystery. A mystery. Yeah. Uh, but we all we all matter, and we all gotta play our part in the question. Absolutely so much right. So grateful for you, Father Philip Tangora, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Yes, and now I just gotta pray for my Rangers, my New York Rangers. Oh, your New York Rangers. Your Texas Rangers had a good year. Maybe the Rangers will have, and New York will have a good one as well. It's 16 past. We got headlines right after this. The Christmas Means Life campaign encourages you to add another person to your Christmas list, the baby Jesus, as represented by women and children in need by making a donation to your local pregnancy center. Another option is to support the JP2 Life Center, committed to saving lives with free pregnancy help services, holistic OBGYN care, and education programs. Find out more at jpiilifecenter.org. That's jpiilifecenter.org. Because Christmas means life. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? 
Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available, and when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug, available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Hi friends, Janet Williams here. Join me every Wednesday on Women of Grace Live as I welcome new age researcher and blogger for Women of Grace, Sue Brinkman. Sue and I will be talking about all the wacky things that could distract you from your faith. Psychics, yoga, Reiki, crystals, acupuncture, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and astral traveling are just a few of the stranger things we discuss. That's why we call it Wacky Wednesday. So join us at 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. 18 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Israel has started pumping seawater into the sprawling network of tunnels in the Gaza Strip used by Hamas. Pope Francis, during his general audience today, said he continues to follow the conflict in the Holy Land and urged both sides to resume negotiations. And the Vatican's dicastery for the doctrine of the faith has responded to questions concerning cremation and the preservation of ashes. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Today, the Feast of St. Lucy, Anna Mitchell, and there are lots of cool things uh, related to her story. She, of course, uh, was from Sicily uh, in Syracuse, and uh, this is around the year 304. She uh, was a Christian and denounced as such uh, when she was persecuted as part of her torture. Uh, her eyes were removed, and then she was stabbed in the throat. It's a pretty... Horrible story, but yeah. a pretty, pretty powerful witness. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about some of her patronages because you mentioned anything related to the eyes, mm-hmm. but also anything related to light. So that means, and uh, we'll go through some of these uh, against blindness mm-hmm. or eye disease or eye problems against mm-hmm. sore eyes. Yeah. Um, she's also against spiritual blindness which is fascinating to me. Really cool. Um, yeah. So uh, pray for her to help you notice the blind spots in your own spiritual life. Um, let's see what else. Uh, glass blowers and glass makers and stained glass, mm. which I was like, why is that? And I was like, oh, light goes through because glass. light goes through them. Wow. I thought that was pretty cool. And of course, ophthalmologists, opticians, lamp lighters, and the like. Are lamp lighters still around? I don't know. I have um, gas lights in my patron saint of the light bill. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I suppose. I like. If you that. work in like the electrical industry and you help the lights stay on, I suppose you could invoke the patronage of Saint Lucy as well. She's also patronage of patron patron of writers and scribes. Okay. So, all right. Who worked by? Who worked by candlelight no back no in doubt. that day? No doubt. Saint Lucy. Pray for us. Pray for all of us. It is 21 minutes past the hour. You love her on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. 
The Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Don Trannell of the Glen Mary Home Missioners. Please join me in praying a Glenmary Community Mission Prayer. O loving Father, may your spirit guide our missionary service. Like Jesus, may we proclaim the reign of God is at hand. Like Peter, may we fall on our knees at the sight of your great catch. Like Paul, may we strive to share the gospel with all people. Like Isaac Jobs and companions, May we willingly sacrifice our lives in service to the people of rural America. O creator of all, give us the courage to leave the 99 and go after the lost one. Grant us the joy to rejoice over the found one. Compel us to care for the victims we find along the road. Move us to embrace the prodigals returning home. We ask this through your son, our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Dr. John Cutterback. Check out his resources, including his free man or woman of the household courses at his site, life-craft.org. Good morning, Dr. Cutterback. Good morning, Annie. It's good to have you back. And we're discussing wonder today. Uh, first of all, what is wonder and what would be its contribution to our pursuit of the good life? Well, I love that question. All right, so here, here is what Aristotle says about wonder. He kind of points to several parts of it, and then you kind of see those parts together and you get a sense of, get a sense of the whole. So he says you can only wonder if you have first seen something rather dramatic. First, it begins in knowledge. You have to have a vision of something. In seeing that, you recognize that there's so much more to see. So that's why it has to be Mm. something kind of special, something a little bit more. You grasp it, but you grasp in such a way that you get a sense that there's, there's a lot more going on than what you are fully getting. That being the case, you're moved with a kind of passion of desire. I want to, I want to get at that. But at the same time, you realize it's going to be hard to do so. And he says there's a kind of fear involved. So to put those kind of four things together, let's just quickly clump them. You see something, you see that there's more that you're not seeing, you want to see that, but there's a kind of fear that you won't be able to. You and just I like to helped bring... me grow in wonder just even thinking about that definition from Aristotle. <laughs> Continue. Well, I, I want to put it all together and act it out for you. It's like, you know, you, you, see, a, you see a moon rise and, you just, and, 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 your, and your breath is taken away from you. Go, oh, 
Well, that, it, 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 it's all going on right there because yeah. you, you, you've seen it. But part of it is just taking your breath away. It's just this sense of where did this come from? Like, what, what is with this moon? Yeah. And, and, but so it's, so it's, it's moving you. It's moving you deeply and you're stretching forth towards it. But there's that, that you know, that, 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 that good and it can be a, a, a good fear, but it's also a fear. And that's, I think that's the key element there. That's what kind of, kind of scare people off. They kind of have that moment of wonder and they, and they turn away because they don't know what to do with it. Well, if you allow yourself to continue with that wonder, can that help you grow in wisdom? Oh, Annie, Aristotle says that this reality that he's just described is the beginning of philosophy. Mm. And philosophy, of course, is not the study, the thing you study at college. For him, philosophy is, is, is simply the pursuit of wisdom. And so this is necessarily where it starts, but it, it's where it needs to start, but it doesn't mean it will start from that. So that's, that's the challenge. Right? So uh, as you put it, it can be the beginning. If we respond to it rightly, say, hey, this wonder that's arising in me, this is a call for me to go after something. So we become so jaded. I mean, you were talking about the moonrise, and how often do we not even look at the sky when we walk outside? You know, we're just we're so right. focused on our screens. We're so focused on whatever is going on in our lives that we we can't. What is it in Mary Poppins? You don't see past the end of your nose. Something mm-hmm. along those mm-hmm. lines. Mm-hmm. We we just get so used to things as we get older. So, do you have any advice for those of us who are ad- adults and how to to foster a sense of wonder, to rediscover a sense of wonder in our lives? Well, I do. I mean, for, first of all, I, let's just take it to the top.
and ammunition. Massive pumps have been put together over the past few weeks while Israel apparently weighed its options. The plan is controversial controversial among some family members of Israeli hostages still being held by Hamas. They fear that their loved ones might be in these tunnels and could be killed by the flooding. Pope Francis, during his general audience today, said he continues to follow the conflict in the Holy Land and urged both sides to resume negotiations. He asked that all hostages be released and called on everyone to make an urgent commitment to get humanitarian aid to the people of Gaza. Meanwhile, the United Nations General Assembly is demanding an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. Brian Shook reports. On Tuesday, the General Assembly got a two-thirds majority and passed the resolution demanding a ceasefire. Two amendments to the ceasefire proposed by the U.S. and Austria both failed. The U.S. says it supports a pause in fighting, but not a ceasefire that would allow Hamas to plan another attack. I'm Brian Shook. Nearly 200 countries at the U.N. Climate Summit are agreeing to move away from fossil fuels. The COP28 summit is underway in Dubai, and today the world's nations approved a global pact that calls for transitioning away from fossil fuels that contribute to global warming. Many nations have been calling for a complete phase-out of fossil fuels, but that proposal was rejected by major oil exporters. Instead, countries have agreed on a deal that would accelerate a global shift away from fossil fuels this decade. Bishops around the world have received information from Rome explaining the next stages of the Synod on Synodality. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. After the closing of the first part of the Synod in October, churches are now called to promote further consultation and to prepare contributions for the second and final session in October 2024. To this end, bishops across the world have just received a document with instructions from the Secretariat of the Synod. The synodal process will continue along some lines of work, keeping in mind Pope Francis' remarks that the synod is about synodality and not about this or that theme. Regarding the specific themes that have emerged so far, the text explains that some will need to be considered with the Vatican dicasteries. These matters include, for example, the updating of the codes of canon law and the deepening of theological and pastoral research on women's admission to the diaconate. A report on the progress of this work will be presented to the Assembly in October 2024. Discussions will revolve around the central question of how to be a synodal church in mission with the aim to identify the paths to follow to enhance the unique contribution of each baptized person and of each church to the mission of proclaiming the gospel to today's world. 
The key word in this will be that of co-responsibility. This guiding question will be addressed on two levels, local and central. With this in mind, the document invites each church to carry out a further consultation, also involving theologians, canonists and local academic institutions. The summaries of the contributions will serve as a basis for the Instrumentum Laboris, the working document of the 2024 Synod. I am Lisa Zingarini. Harvard's governing board has voted to keep Claudine Gay as the school's president. She has faced calls for resignation and firing after her appearance before a congressional committee to discuss anti-Semitism on campus. She and other Ivy League school leaders face criticism for their answers to questions about whether calls for the genocide of Jews violate school rules. In a message to the Harvard community, the board said their deliberations affirmed their confidence that Claudine Gay is the right leader. That's the news. It's 35 minutes past the Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available. And when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. When we think about the mystery of God and redemption, sometimes the answers seem a little complicated. St. Paul, however, keeps reminding us that the gospel of Jesus Christ and our redemption is very simple. He says this, The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. In other words, sinners could not reconcile themselves to God. Only God could do this. And so he sent his only begotten Son as our Savior to bind us to him in a new and everlasting covenant. Who are the sinners then? St. Paul tells us that he was the first and foremost of sinners, but he was given mercy by Jesus for an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Like St. Paul, Jesus has shown us his mercy so that we too can be an example for those who were to believe in Christ for eternal life. If you or I were the only persons who had ever sinned, Jesus would have come for us and died for us alone. He desires that we have this life. And Paul's joy in sharing this life motivates him to tell others about the mercy of God and to repent from their sins. To be a Christian, we must admit that we are sinners, but God in his great mercy gives us his Son so that the sin that separates us will be replaced by the grace that makes us his children. And this is what comes from the heart of St. Paul. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Augustine Weta. He's a Benedictine who has written a book that I have found extremely helpful. It's called Pray, Think, Act, Make Better Decisions with the Help of the Church or of the Desert Fathers. Father Weta, good morning. Good morning. All right, so we are on a story today of a young monk asking an old monk about trouble praying. I wonder if you could share that with us. Right, and this is what I I love about Desert Fathers, or one of the things is that 
they managed to pack a whole lot of theology into very few words. Uh, but the story goes like this. A young monk asked his elder, why is it that whenever I start working, I feel weary and disgusted, and my mind completely empty of spiritual thoughts? And the old monk said to him, because you do not really desire to pray. Uh, and it's when you think about it, the old monk is distinguishing between three ways of making a decision. First of all, what you want to do, and then what you think you want to do, and then what you really want to do. And <laughs> I, yeah, I originally thought I had got this from Thomas Aquinas, but it turns out I just got it from the Desert Fathers. That you know, you're if you live your life by internet memes, and I don't recommend it, um, you'll hear people say things like, well, uh, follow your heart. Uh, but that's just a terrible piece of advice. If I followed my heart, I would be married and divorced 50 times over just in the last week. Um, or then they'll say, well, think carefully about what you're going to do. But, but that, too, is not entirely dependable, your brain, because... I pretty much, I don't know about you, but I'll pretty much go with whoever has the best argument at the moment. So you can't really follow your heart or your mind. Well, well, you don't want to do something that you hate, and you don't want to do something that you think is stupid. But really, the really greatest, most important ideas and uh, decisions in life are made at the level of sort of the gut which I think Thomas Aquinas would call the will. Um, so, for example, I've got a friend who was trying to decide whether to become a, a Benedictine or a Dominican, and so he flipped a coin. He said, heads I'm a Benedictine, tails I'm a Dominican. And in this particular case, he came up with tails, and he was disappointed, so he became a Benedictine. <laughs> but... <laughs> Because he didn't really know how he felt about it until he had flipped the coin. Um, so really, in the end, um, thinking you can think very hard about something, and you can feel very strongly about something, but when it comes to, say, I don't know, getting married or raising your kids or throwing yourself on a hand grenade or charging a machine gun bunker, uh, really, that you do you don't do because you thought it carefully through, and you certainly don't charge a machine gun nest because you want to. It's just something that you do. Yeah, and it's something that has become a part of you because, in, in some ways, you you formed yourself to be that that kind of person. I know I, I there's always these crazy scenarios that happen and pop up, and you know the question, you know, what would I do in that situation? And we all like yeah. to think that we'd you know, would know what we'd want to do. Uh, but yeah. uh, the, the reality is what kind of person am I making myself into? <laughs> because well, that yeah. is co- probably going to be a, a better determination of what I would actually do in that moment. Well, and even the way we talk about it, like just now you said, even the way we think what we, or you said, even the way we think about what we, oh shoot. Well, anyway, it, it, it was more like you think very hard about it but, like, I think it was George Orwell who said some ideas are so stupid only intellectuals will believe them. And I think, for example, Marxism is one of those ideas. We've got this great old um, 
monk at the monastery named Father Finbar, who is an Irish monk who joined an English monastery. So you get the kind of a, oh wow, you get a sense of what he kind did, of guy he is. He did he not is. think carefully about that. So. Well, I think he did because <laughs> he just loves to contradict everyone. Uh, but our juniors are having some sort of heated debate over some sort of theological issue, and, and he finally said to one of them. You know, your argument makes a lot of sense, but I'm guessing there's someone smarter in the world with a different opinion, and I'm going to believe that guy. <laughs> Which you might think is a stupid way to think about something, but in fact, it makes a lot of sense that, uh, that whoever has the best argument really ought to win, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I so mean... What, yeah. I've been thinking... Uh, as you say this, I'm, uh, there are like a thousand references that have thinking. popped up in my mind. <laughs> yes, so uh, <laughs> thinking, I've been thinking carefully. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> thinking carefully is not enough because, uh, I mean, if you've seen like right. the Ocean's Eleven movies, you have to think carefully in order to do the very immoral act of robbing a casino. Thinking carefully right. <laughs> alone is not merely it. Oh, I think man. even uh, Thomas Merton says something about it. it's not going to be if we go to the brink of nuclear war or if we look back at like genocides, it's not usually crazy people do them. It's usually very sane and extremely almost overly rational people who do these horrible things. Um, it, it, it takes me back to what Chesterton says when he says that the, um, uh, the, the people you should not be worried about, uh, you shouldn't be worried about the people who have lost their reason. You should be worried about the people who have lost everything except their reason. Because uh, then they've lost the human things that balance ah. out the reason. I wish I'd talked to you before I wrote this book, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I could have used that quote, yeah. yeah. Well, for lack of a better word, what, what, what the old monk says, what, what he's referring to is what you really desire. I think he's talking about the will, the, the most basic, fundamental part of us that is informed by the intellect and the emotions, but not dictated by them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So how do you, in the world do you communicate this to high schoolers? Uh, well, I don't, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. They, I, well, I think we don't give high schoolers quite enough credit. They, they tend to figure this. They like things like categories of will and emotion. We were actually talking yesterday about hip-hop dance and whether you could actually analyze that and decide that one dancer was better than another dancer, or do you just decide from the level of the gut, you just say, that looks pretty. Um, but in fact, even when it comes down to something so silly as, well, I guess they're hip-hop dancers, who wouldn't call it silly, but I think it's silly. Uh, uh, something as basic or silly or, or inconsequential as whether you like a hip-hop dancer, even that, you've got different levels of thinking. Uh, whether you personally feel drawn to it, or whether you think it's technically difficult, or whether your gut just says that's good. Yeah. You know, and it's a separate question to say, I think that's silly, than it is to say, I think if I tried that, I would look silly. So uh, those are two right. separate questions. <laughs> and, and well, of course, who cares whether you think it's silly if you don't know anything about it, right? That's true. That's true. Well, the book is called Pray, Think, Act. It's about discernment. It's about decision-making. And uh, there's some great old monk stories in here that help us maybe take a step back and think about things a little differently than we might be thinking or feeling 
about them in a certain moment and maybe purify our wills a little bit. Yeah. Father Augustine Weta, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. God bless. Uh, all right. And again, go to sunrisemorningshow.com. Find Father Augustine's book. Find all the people we talk to on a daily basis. Put in your email address. Get show notes delivered to your inbox every morning. We're back with headlines after this. It's 14 till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hey, this is Michael O'Neill, the Miracle Hunter. I'll be delving into the fascinating world of miracles and taking you on a hunt that explores the greatest mysteries and marvels of the Catholic Church. I'll be examining what constitutes a miracle, how miracles are investigated and approved, and the role they play in the lives of the faithful. We'll look at the miracles of the Gospels in early Christianity, considering the claims of the miraculous in our own modern age. The Miracle Hunter, Saturday at 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. This is Dr. David Anders. Does the problem of evil keep you from believing in God? Join us for Called to Communion this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for joining us on this Feast of St. Lucy, Wednesday the 13th of December. Here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. Israel has started pumping seawater into the sprawling network of tunnels in the Gaza Strip used by Hamas, according to U.S. officials briefed on the matter. Pope Francis, during his general audience today, asked for a resumption of negotiations in the Holy Land and... The Vatican's dicastery for the doctrine of faith responded to questions concerning cremation and the preservation of ashes. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Katie Bogner. She's got a new book for children all about Advent and Christmas, sharing the seasons of hope and wonder with children. Katie, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. It's great to have you. What all do you cover in this book? Well, we try to hit all of the important customs and traditions and really the why behind Advent and leading into Christmas. And I love to see that um, there is a 
an imprimatur from the church, which tells me that there are some deep theological things that are being discussed in here. It's not just, you know, jingle bells and (laughs) all of that. That's super important to me. So I'm a Catholic school teacher, and so if I'm going to create something that is catechetical for homes and families and parishes and schools, I want to make sure everything in it is really clear and, and of course, you know, sharing the truth of the faith. So what made you want to write a book specifically about Advent and Christmas? This is not your first go-around with books for children. So I, I have a lot of books in my classroom, um, and there are some beautiful books about different Advent traditions, like the Jesse Tree, for example. Mm-hmm. And of course we have, I mean, there are hundreds of beautiful Christmas picture books, uh, and those are so important to retell the story of that first Christmas. But there really isn't anything until now that helps explain, like, the why behind Advent. What is this season all about? And how does it actually stem from the waiting for the Messiah in the Old Testament? So I really wanted to create something that told that overall message of the season, but also dove into, in little bite-sized pieces for children, the the reasons behind the customs we do, like the Jesse tree and the Advent wreath, as well as saints that we love to celebrate, like St. Lucy today and St. Nicholas and Our Lady of Guadalupe. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you think about kids, they get excited ahead of Christmas because of Christmas. I mean, they're about to get a bunch of presents under the Christmas tree, right? So how can parents kind of, I guess, harness that excitement for, for you know, the trappings of Christmas like that, but get excited about the fact that the Lord is coming? A huge theme that runs through the book is waiting, because, of course, you know, none of us are good at waiting. We're not good at waiting for Christmas to come. We're not good at waiting for our birthday or for the bell to ring at the end of the school day or whatever it is. So um, that's one of the things. The book kind of opens with the the waiting for the Messiah to come and, and how our Advent might be for, well, this week or this year, it's, you know, three weeks in a day. It's so short. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Our waiting for Christmas this particular year might seem so long, but when you actually look at what Advent really is telling the story of, the the people of God had to wait thousands of years for the Messiah to come. And I think one thing that families can do to help, you know, curb that that excitement, but also like harness it, like you said, is to is to really dive into the story of what are we really waiting for and what does it mean to wait well and to wait with hope. And so to kind of turn that that excitement and that attention away from the presents, which are wonderful, and there's a reason for them, but to make sure that our focus is really on the Lord coming at Christmas. And then we celebrate with those gifts that we exchange with our loved ones. And one of those aids that we have is the use of the Advent wreath, which, you know, each successive Sunday of Advent, we light another Candle, can you talk about how you teach children about the theme of light in this book? Yeah, so light is another theme that carries through, of course, like the movement from darkness, the darkness of sin, and then the gift of light that we have in Christ. And the Advent wreath, of course, is a perfect way to teach about that. We see them in our parishes, and hopefully a lot of families have them on their dinner table at home, and they're lighting their candles each week. Um, but there's, there's so, many, so much symbolism just packed right into the wreath. So in the book, we go into the meaning of the different colors of the candles and um, the evergreen wreath, how it is circular and has no beginning and no end, and it's evergreen, it never fades. And we also talk about how as the candles burn down, so in the illustration in the book, it was really important to me that the, the representation of the fourth week, actually the candles were different heights, 
mm-hmm. um, because, you know, nice. the first week has burned way down and then the second week a lot, you know, a little yeah. bit more. So um, the idea that the burning of the candle shows the passage of time, and that's something in our modern culture with electricity we don't always think about. So as those candles burn down, it also represents our waiting and that, that the Lord has almost come. We're almost there. Yeah, yeah. And the illustrations in this book are beautiful. If listeners, um, if you're watching the live stream on video, you've been seeing me open the book up to various pages that she is identifying as she uh, tells us more about what she has for children in all about Advent and Christmas. And Katie, I'm wondering, what are your favorite Advent traditions? Is there anything that that you learned while you were putting this book together? Oh, gosh, I learned so much. You know, you think you know a lot. You know, I'm a cradle Catholic and have done many Advents before. Um, But if you're going to take something and have to explain it to children, you have to know it really well. And so there are some really cool things that I maybe had heard of or seen but didn't quite know the origin behind. So one of the fun things we did was we tried to find some different Advent traditions from around the world because, of course, different cultures celebrate the season sometimes a little differently. And so one of my favorite ones, which is actually coming up, that I learned about was Bambinelli Sunday, oh, yeah. um, which is really popular in Italy and, and sometimes is celebrated. But if you're, if you're not familiar with that, the idea is that you bring the little baby Jesus that you're going to put in your nativity on Christmas um, you bring that to Mass on the third Sunday of Advent and have the priest bless that little Christ figure. Um, so just a really special thing. And it's actually um, been um, practiced at the Vatican for around 30 years or so, um, where children bring their little baby Jesus to the Vatican and receive a blessing from the Pope. Um, I recently read a, a wonderful blessing that Pope Benedict did, and it was just so sweet and warm for the children. So I think that's a really fun tradition. It is. It is. And... Um... Just finally, as as we wrap up this conversation, Katie, I mean, what do you hope that children, but also their parents and teachers who will be reading this book alongside them will will take away from from reading this book together and uh, I guess enhance their their Advent uh, commemorations? Yeah, I mean, obviously the book is focused on Advent and Christmas, but the big takeaway I really hope that children and their families gain is the beauty of the liturgical year and how everything in it leads us closer to Christ, helps us to know his story and the reason for which he came. And so I hope that it helps them to not just like, you know, zoom through the season of Advent and only see Christmas as as a time of, you know, gift giving, but really to see how it fits within the liturgical year and leads us closer to Christ. The book is called All About Advent and Christmas, Sharing the Seasons of Hope and wonder with children. We've been talking to the author, Katie Bogner. Katie, really appreciate your time this morning. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day. You do the same. Thank you. And of course, you can find this book and all of our guests linked at sonrisemorningshow.com in the show notes for today. Go back and watch the video live stream if you want to take a look at some of the pictures that are in here. They are beautiful. Well, that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.